Good morning. Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome. Welcome. We're so glad you're starting off the new year with us here today. Welcome, Smyrna Campus. We love you guys. Glad that you're connecting there. Everybody's connecting with us online. We're glad you're starting your year with us online. Glad you could connect that way. We are today beginning a new series. Uh, I love where we're going with this, with the new year. It's the idea of breaking bad habits. And we're going to be doing this for 12 straight weeks, so I hope you'll connect and stay connected and be involved as we go through each lesson that we're going through. Uh, the goal is for us to have all of these things build on each other, and, and what happens over time is our lives are transformed for the better as we address each one of these things each week the way God would want us to. This whole theme is based on uh, my life verse, really. I, I chose this life verse many years ago. It's Romans 12. It's verses 1 and 2. The first verse says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And he says this, Holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. We, we so limit our definition of worship as the Sunday morning service. And, and it's not at all what the Bible says is our worship. That's only a part of it. It's only a segment of our worship. It is worship when we do it correctly. But our whole life is supposed to be lived as an act of worship to God. That means when you leave this building after this service is over, you should be continuing your worship of God by the choices you make, the habits that you practice in your life. And when it comes to habits, we all have some good ones, and we need to continue working on those and staying consistent with those, right? That's what a habit is. It's something that you do over and over again. Uh, you know some examples of good habits. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, brush your teeth regularly, right? Good habit, right? We want to continue the good habits. Uh, there are other good habits, like if you pray regularly already, if you, if you spend time in God's Word regularly, all of those are good habits. You might use the term spiritual disciplines. Those are just habits that you develop in your life that are good, that are spirit-led and spirit-driven. But we also all know we have and battle with some bad habits along the way. And this whole series, we're going to pick different ones, a series of 12 here uh, that we're going to be looking at. I have based this series on a book by a pastor friend of ours. His name is Steve Poe. He recently published this book, Creatures of Habit. You can order it anywhere you can get Christian books, and uh, I would encourage you to check that out. It's a great book. I've taken some material from his book and developed this series for us to use so that we can work on those habits that aren't what they ought to be, and we can... We can change. The next part of my life verse, verse 2, is the key to what needs to take place in this series. It goes on to say this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be, what's that word? Transformed. How does that happen? By the renewing of your mind. Then he says you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. If we're going to make changes this year, shouldn't they be in line with God's will? Because his will is good. It's pleasing. It's going to bless us and bless others. It's perfect. It's exactly what God wants for us. 
So this transformation process is what this series is all about. A lot of people, as the new year starts, you're thinking about, all right, starting new things, a new life, making some changes. Well, how about a transformation led by God's Word, God's Spirit working through God's Word to transform us into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ? So here's how you determine. I've got a few questions you can ask yourself. Is this a good habit or a bad habit? Do I need to change this one or hold on to this one? Question number one, is this habit having a negative effect on my relationship with Christ? Is that a habit that you've got? Is somehow having a negative effect on your relationship with Christ? Now, not every habit is evil in and of itself, but if it's taking you away from God and your walk with Christ, if it's keeping you from growing as a Christian, then that's something we need to address, isn't it? That, that's a transformation that needs to occur to get rid of that. But remember, we're not just getting rid of bad habits. We want to replace them with something better. That's the transformation. If you just get rid of a bad habit and you don't replace it, it leaves a void that's going to be filled somehow. Good or bad, that void is going to be filled. If it's been a habit for a while and you get rid of that and don't put something in its place, that leaves a void and anything can come into that void if you're not careful. So we want to not just get rid of the bad ones. We want to replace them with good ones. So is it having a negative effect on your relationship with Christ. The second question, is it having a negative effect on my relationship with others? Because part of the reason God put us on this earth is to represent him well and help others find their way to Jesus, right? So if it's having a negative effect on our relationship with others, maybe that's a habit that needs to be changed, needs to be transformed to something better than what we're doing right now. Third question, is it having a negative effect on my overall attitude? Is it causing you to have stinking thinking? Right? We all get into some little stinking thinking once in a while, don't we? Yeah. Michigan fans this weekend probably. I don't know. But this, this weekend I could bring it up. I couldn't, you know, when we played Alabama. But we could this week. So stinking thinking is when you let these habits are causing you to have this negative approach, this complaining, critical spirit, on, and, and, and you're letting it tear you down, and you're tearing others down in the process, that's a habit you don't need to keep. It's a habit that needs to be transformed to something better. Today, we're going to begin with the one habit that can keep us from ever transforming our lives. It's the one thing that will keep us from even making the effort, even admitting that we need to make any changes or be transformed in any way. What is it, you think? Pride. pride. If you got your outlines there, look at it, okay? <laughs> it's pride. Some of you are too proud to look at your outline. Come on, guys. Pride is the biggest obstacle to transformation. So here's what we're going to do. Each week, I'm going to have a lesson on something like pride. But here's what we're going to do in addition to that. In your bulletins each week, if you're at our campuses, and in the bulletin, we're going to have a bulletin insert like we do every week. It's got a message outline for you to take notes on. I would encourage you to take notes all the time, whether it's this series or any other. If you're studying God's Word, it's good to take notes, write things down. But with these notes, if you flip it over to the other side, we have some announcements, but we have some additional notes that go along with the message that week. And there are questions to be answered. There are more scriptures to read with each week's lesson. 
So I encourage you to take these home with you and continue your study and go deeper in this because habits are hard to break, friends. It takes some consistency over time. It takes regular... The, to form a habit takes a while. That means to change a habit is going to take a while too. So you have to have something to follow up on, not just hear a message one time and think I got this covered now. That's a prideful way of thinking. You can't get it done that way. So we want to provide these for you. Now, if you're listening online, if you're connecting there, we're posting these online as well, these notes, uh, these follow-up study notes. So if you go to our website, lakeshorechristian.com, you can click on the graphic that says Breaking Bad Habits at Home Study Notes. Click on that. It'll take you to the page that's got the same notes we're using at our campuses on Sunday. So we want to give you all the tools that, that God would want us to have to make this transformation work because it begins with the mind, right? The, the, the transforming by the renewing of our minds. And the way you do that is spending time in God's word. What does God say about these things? What does God's word teach us about these things? And what does he say about what's not what it ought to be? But not just that, not just what does God say is wrong, but what does God say is right? What's the, the change we need to get to, right? Let's look at both of those things as we go through the study. So beginning with pride today, I'm always reminded of this story of uh, there's this captain of, of a ship who looked out in the night and he saw this light in the distance and it looked like the way it was going, they were on a collision course. And so he told his signalman to signal this message to them, alter your course 10 degrees south. Well, he got a signal right back, alter your course 10 degrees north. It really got him mad. He was upset that they would respond that way to his message. So in his anger, he said, send the second message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a captain. Message came right back. No, alter your course 10 degrees north. I am seaman third class Jones. That really made him mad. If you don't know anything about the Navy ranks, that's much lower than a captain, right? And here he is telling the captain, no, you change your course. So immediately the captain sent a third message, knowing the fear that it would bring to this lower uh, ranking officer there. He said, alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. He immediately got a message back. I'm a lighthouse. Your call. Our pride can get us in trouble, can it? It can cause us to ignore things we ought to be listening to. It can cause us to force our way places we don't need to go. It can cause us to have expectations that are unrealistic and ungodly. Our pride can mess up our lives big time. In Proverbs 16 and verse 18, there's a great warning. In fact, the whole book of Proverbs, the whole, all of the Bible, so many passages on this subject because it is such a battle that we have in the flesh, this battle with our pride. But in Proverbs 16 and verse 18, you may be familiar with this one. It's often quoted, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Your pride can take you to places that bring destruction to your life if you let it get out of control. So if we're going to be transformed, the first thing we've got to do is get a handle on this pride problem that we all... Now, understand, this is not unique to you or to me. This is every human being in the flesh. We have this inclination to 
have this pride get out of control that we shouldn't have out of control. But I do want to caution you with this. The Bible doesn't just say negative things about pride and all kinds of pride. There are also some verses that speak of pride in a way that it could be a good thing. Just over in Proverbs 17 in verse 6, it says this. Children's children are a crown to the aged and parents are the pride of their children. I know for my children that's true. <laughs> See, that's a prideful comment, right? But he's saying there are things we should be take pride in. Some good things, godly things, wonderful things, beautiful things that God has blessed us with that we ought to take pride in. So we're not saying pride in every form and every expression is evil or sinful. What we're saying and what the scripture is saying is there is a kind of pride that leads to destruction. There is a, a pride that gets out of control that leads to, to a great fall in your life if you're not careful. So we need to guard against it. And, and I've labeled this pride self-centered pride. Uh, that's the idea we find in Scripture with this pride that's not good. It's a self-centered kind of pride where it's all about you. It's all about you. And it's the kind of pride that makes you look down on others as if somehow you're better, your opinion matters more, your ideas are always the best, right? You're, you're the one everybody else ought to be listening to. You're the only one that drives correctly, right? When you're going down the road, everybody else is either a maniac or an idiot, right? You know where I'm coming from, right? If they're going too fa faster than you, they're a maniac. If they're going slower than you, they're an idiot, right? You know that. You don't say it out loud every time, you might, but you're thinking it, aren't you? That's a prideful, self-centered kind of pride. We've got to work on that, guys, because it keeps us from being transformed into the image of Christ. So I want to give you six steps to take very quickly today that I find in Scripture. Now, in this series, what we're going to do, and I have to be careful with this. All teachers should be careful with this. I'm going to pull out a lot of different passages from Scripture that speak to this subject. The danger is you could pull them out of context and try to use them in the wrong way or make them say something they weren't intended to say. So I've tried to be careful to be sure. I want you to go back, though, and read these verses in context so that you know they're not pulled out of that context and given a meaning that they didn't originally have. But for the sake of time, we're not going to be able to do that with every verse. So I just want you to, to put them in your notes. They're in your outline there. But go back and read these for yourself later on okay and, and read them in their context so you know they aren't being used the wrong way first step to dealing with our pride confess it confess it if you're prideful what's the hardest thing to do confess it that's why we need to start there if you're prideful the hardest thing to do is to confess that you're prideful with a self-centered kind of pride James 5 and verse 16, it tells us this. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be, what's that word? Healed. Oh, so the goal is for what? Healing. It goes on to say the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So he's saying in, in the book of James, in the letter that James wrote, you need to confess your sins to one another. Now, James is not leaving out the fact that we need to confess it to God. He talks about that in his letter too. So, so you confess it to God, but here's what happens, and God knows this. It helps to have flesh and blood around you that holds you accountable too. I mean, we know God's always there. We know he sees everything, 
But it doesn't always feel as real as somebody else standing right there with you sometimes. And, and that person in the flesh that you could talk to about this could be someone that, that knows what you're trying to do, knows you're dealing with this, battling with this, and they can encourage you. They can also call you out when you get uh, outside the, the, the boundaries that you need to be in with this. They can hold you accountable to what you say you're trying to do. And that's why I love life groups and the intimacy of life groups in a church family. You can't do that with a whole congregation, but you could do that with a, a smaller group, or you could do that with one individual that you know is a godly person and a Christ follower themselves, who's mature in the faith, who will love you enough to be honest with you, tell you the truth about what's going on. Now, you've got friends that will just tell you what you want to hear. You know that, that they're that level of friend. They're only going to tell you good things that you want to hear. This is not the person you need to be confessing this to. You need to find people or connect with people if you don't already have them who will be honest with you in a loving way. It needs to come from a place of love because if it's not, it's going to hurt your feelings, right? You're going to get mad. But if it's coming from a place of love, somebody you know really cares about you and they say, well, now you told me to say something to you if you were being prideful. I just want you to know this is, this is going that direction. You know, I just want to let, remind you of that. Or if you do something that's really humble like you need to, they could say, Man, that was great. Then it puffs up your pride and you got to get it back down again, right? Yeah, I'm doing good. You know, you got to be. But you need somebody that you could talk to about these things. So the first step in dealing with pride is to confess it. And if you're sitting there right now saying, I don't need to do this, that's a good indication you need to do this. It's a really good flashing light signal. You need to do this. If you're telling yourself right now, I don't need to do this. That's a prideful attitude about this. Second step, humble yourself. Now, that's easier said than done, but I just wanted to get it out there. Practice humility. Practice humbling yourself. I can remember many years ago, I was just a young, young, young baby child, okay? Matt Davis had this song that came out. It's hard to be humble, I don't know how many of you remember the song, but the chorus goes like this. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror because I get better looking each day. To know me is to love me. I must be one, and I put heck of a man. He didn't say it that way. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble, but I'm doing the best that I can. That was just the chorus. There's some verses that go along with that. You might go back and Google that later. He's going to get a bunch of hits. He wonder what happened today? All of a sudden, people are going back to that song again. We can help him out a little bit with some royalties. He probably needs it. Right. Is he still alive? I don't even know. Google that too. <laughs> Here's the thing. We wouldn't probably sing that song about ourselves, but sometimes we act like it. Sometimes we treat others like we think that about ourselves. We've talked about discipleship a lot here at Lakeshore. We're always going to do that because that's what we're called to do is make disciples, right? So if we're going to make disciples, a disciple is someone who follows after a teacher with the goal of not only learning information from the teacher, but growing up to be like the teacher. That was the ultimate goal of a disciple. So if we're going to grow up to be like Jesus, he's our rabbi then. In the Jewish culture, long before Jesus came on the scene, they had this saying that I really like. 
It, it was for followers of a particular teacher. They would say, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Now, you know what that means? You're following so close behind them. They walked on dusty roads, remember? You're following so closely to them that the dust they stir up when they walk is getting all over you. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. So Jesus is our rabbi. So the goal of a disciple of Jesus Christ is going to be to do what? Be covered in his dust, right? To be so close to him. We become like him. And, and here's the thing. Jesus sets the perfect example of humility. I mean, there is no better example than Jesus himself of what it means to humble yourself. Paul talked about it in Philippians 2. Let's look there. Philippians 2, beginning with verse 5. Now, you have to remember that Jesus dealt with this with his own disciples. He, he, on a couple of occasions, found them arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom, right? Who's going to have the chief seats with Jesus when he enters into his kingdom? You know, and, and he had to humble them over and over again. He had to tell them things like it's an upside-down kingdom. The least will be the greatest, and the greatest will be the least. And they still didn't always get it. They still battled with this. But Jesus set the perfect example. In Philippians 2, verse 5, he says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. How does transformation occur? How does change occur? The transforming of our what? So have the same mindset as who? You see the connection? All right. Let's learn what Jesus said and taught and did so that we could start thinking the way Jesus thought and acted. Got to change our thinking to match Jesus' thinking. Okay? So have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Here's what it says about his mindset. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. If you've got a, got a pride problem, whose advantage are you always looking out for? Your own. Well, Jesus is God. If he wanted to look out for himself, would he have ever done what we're about to read here? No. He didn't try to use his position and his power for his own advantage. It goes on to tell us what he did, okay? Verse 7, rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. If Jesus was thinking of himself, he wasn't very good at it. Because he made the choices that led him to the cross. When it says death on a cross, I like the way it says in the NIV, even death on a cross. You know why it says even death on a cross? Because that was the most humiliating form of death known to man. Jesus made the choice to go through that humbling experience of being beaten in front of everybody being spit on in front of everybody, being stripped down naked in front of everybody, being nailed to a cross and lifted up to bleed and die in public view in front of everybody. That's the humility of our rabbi. So he says, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus in your relationship with each other. You see, he's not making this a theory He's saying, this is how you need to live. This is how you need to interact with other people. This is how you need to treat others. This is how you need to think of others. The way Jesus thought of you when he humbled himself and went to the cross. 
the perfect example of the humility that God's word says we need to be transformed into having in our own lives. This will never be easy. It will never be a one and done kind of thing. It's an ongoing battle in our lives in the flesh to have this humility. And that's why we need sermons like this. That's why we need teaching like this. That's why we need to go into God's word deeper even after today and keep following this and, and studying this and applying this to our lives it's because tomorrow you're going to need to fight this battle too. And the next day you're going to need to fight this battle too. Every day of your life, this battle is going to be in front of you. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. May you be more and more like him all the time. Now, God's response to Jesus' humility is amazing. He goes on to talk about it there in Philippians 2, where God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that's above every name, right? God, God honors that kind of humility, and he lifts up those kinds of humble people in his kingdom. That's the way his kingdom works. The people that are elevated are the, the ones that are willing to humble themselves that way. That's the way this kingdom works. It's not an earthly kingdom, remember? Jesus made that clear. It doesn't work the way an earthly kingdom works. In an earthly kingdom, you climb the ladder and God's kingdom, you humble yourself and become a servant. Those are the two different kingdom approaches. And Jesus is calling us to follow after him in humility. So, we need to be willing then to confess our pride and we need to be willing to humble ourselves. The third thing is this. In humility then, we need to learn to be willing to listen to others. See, prideful people aren't good listeners. What did I say? <laughs> I want to repeat it for those that weren't listening. Prideful people are not good listeners. Because you don't think anybody else has got something really important to say. Because they're not where you are. They don't, they don't have the knowledge and experience and, and uh, education and training and all that that you've got. So they couldn't possibly have something important enough for you to really give it time and attention and listen to them. James 1, verse 19, again to that letter. It's a great letter with practical teaching. He says in verse 19, my dear brothers and sisters, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. I'm convinced a lot of the anger we've got in our culture would subside if we started listening to each other more than talking. I think the scripture teaches that as clearly as it possibly can. We need to be quicker to listen than we are to speak. Slow to speak, quick to listen. We get that mixed up all the time, don't we? I, I know my wife says not to use this illustration, but I still <laughs> do it anyway, all right? all right? We all suffer from this disease. We've got diarrhea of the mouth and constipation of the brain. She said, that's not the best way to say that, Randy. I think it's great, okay? <laughs> that's pride on my part, I guess, but I thought that was pretty good. Here's the thing. Most of us say we listen, but we're not listening really. We're not listening to understand. We're listening to respond. Those are two different things. We're not listening with the goal of understanding what that person's trying to tell me. 
We're listening, trying to formulate the whole time they're talking our response to impress them or, or put them down or make them see how right we are. That's how we're listening most of the time. That's not really listening. You're not really hearing their heart that way. You're not hearing where they're coming from. One of the things that I've really tried to do more of, and, I, and I'm loving it, it's been such a blessing to me, is to take the time to hear other people's stories that I haven't heard yet. Because everybody's got a story. You wonder why somebody's the way they are. You know what you need to hear? You need to hear their story. Their story is how they got to where they are right now. What brought them there? Are they angry? Are they shy? Are they nervous people? What, what is, there's something that's brought them to where they are. And one of the most godly things you could possibly do is just let them tell you their story. Without interruption, without correction, without telling them, oh, you shouldn't have ever done that. Just to hear their story. Just listen to them. They probably haven't had many people in their lives that have done that for them. And friends, that can open up an opportunity to develop a relationship where ongoing dialogue can occur. But if you shut them down on the front end, you will never have the opportunity to bring them to Christ. Ever. Let's get our pride out of the way. Stop acting like, I don't need to hear that. Let me tell you what you need to do. Let's learn to listen to other people. Really hear them out. Hear their stories. Everybody's got a story. And so he says, be quick to listen, be slow to speak. And then he leads to that next one. If you do those two things, you know what happens? You become slow to anger too. You're not nearly as quickly angered if you know what brought that person to that place when they act like that. It doesn't make you nearly as angry. When they put up walls and won't have a close relationship, but you don't know they were abused as a child. You see, if you understand that part of their story, you understand what brought them to that place right? When they, when they say uh, nobody should even take a drink of alcohol, but you find out they were raised by alcoholics and they had a terrible life growing up, then that changes your understanding of why they said that, doesn't it? Right? Hear their stories. If they are drinking to excess and you hear that they were in war and saw a friend brutalized, tortured, and murdered, right in front of them. And you know why they're trying to deaden the pain now. You see, it changes how you hear them and listen to them and respect them after that, even though they're not necessarily doing what they ought to do. Be willing to listen to others. Be humble enough to let them tell you their stories. The next step, number four, be willing to ask for help. Man, I've always struggled with this when I'm just confessing here. I said we need to confess to one another. I told you not to confess to the whole church, and I just did it. I don't know. It's bad, but I guess that's the humility I needed to have today. I, I battle with this one a little bit. I like to do it myself. I've always liked that. I've always wanted to not have to ask for help. And so I really have to, uh, as, as I came to be the pastor here and the church began to grow, 
I, I finally got it. I finally learned. I, I was doing a study with John Maxwell about the law of the lid and how the, the whole group can't go any higher than the leader goes. And, and leaders all have limitations, so you have to put people around you so you don't put a lid on the church where it won't go any further than it is right now. And I had to start realizing I've got to delegate to other people and let other people do things, and they're better at it than I would be anyway. So I have to start doing that if the church is ever going to reach more people for Christ. Right? It's something I had to go through, a process I had to go through. And I still battle with it today. I mean, it's still my tendency to just say, well, we've got somebody in the church. Let's find the person. Let's, let's train them and equip them. I could just go do it instead of doing that, right? But I can't go do everything. So what would be the better approach? Humble yourself. Let somebody else take that. You know what? They may not do it the way I would do it. They may not do it in a way that I think is as good as the way I would do it, but chances are if God has called them to it, it'll be even better than what I would have done, right? So we've got to humble ourselves. We've got to be willing to ask for help. I, I started learning this lesson as a, as, a, as a young person, a young teenager. I was working for a guy in my hometown. His name was Beefy Eves. That wasn't his real name, but he, he had always been called Beefy from the time he was a kid. He was about as wide as he was tall, so he got the nickname Beefy. And Beefy was the head of our, uh, of our town's recreation department, and he hired uh, teenagers to work in the recreation department there. And I was one of those guys that worked for him. And we were clearing off some land. We were building this camp, and we were clearing the land. And there was a bunch of rocks out there and, and, and limbs and stuff. We had to clear off the land. And Beefy was telling me to move that and clear off that area over there. And I had this big rock out there uh, on the land that, that I just couldn't move. I couldn't budge it. And Beefy came over and said, don't let that thing beat you, son. That was his favorite expression. Don't let that thing beat you, son. So I tried harder and I tried harder. And I said, I can't do it. He said, yes, you can. I said, no, Beefy, I can't. I can't move it. I've tried. He said, have you tried everything? I said, I've tried every way. I can't move this rock. He said, no, you haven't. I was out there with a group of other people clearing the land. He said, you know what you haven't done yet? You haven't asked for any help. All you got to do is ask for some help. We can move this rock together. You see, you got to humble yourself enough to say, hey, maybe I could use some help here. It's okay to ask for help. It's a good thing. It gives other people the opportunity to use their strengths, their gifts, their abilities to the glory of God and to the blessing of other people. You're doing them uh, really something that blesses them when you're willing to ask for their help in a lot of ways. So be willing to ask for your help. That's part of being humble. The fifth thing, there's only six, so hold on here, okay? Not long. Start practicing gratitude more and more because that's a sign of humility when you're actually thanking other people thanking God thanking others you have to admit they helped they blessed they did something you needed thank you as an act of humility Colossians 2, verse 6 and 7, it says this. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with what? Thankfulness. Part of living as a Christian is to be a person that's overflowing with thankfulness. Overflowing. What, can you picture that, right? You got a cup. It's full of thanks, but then what, what, what do you do? You keep adding to it so that it's overflowing. It's pouring out the side. Your life should just have pouring out of it gratitude. 
My life should just be oozing gratitude, thankfulness all the time. So you don't know what my year was like this past year. Yes, I do. I was in this year too, this past year. I experienced it like you did. Well, you didn't have happened to you what you had happened to me. No, maybe not this past year, but I've had it before. And so have a lot of other people. We're all in this together. Y'all, we weren't all in the same boat. I understand that. We were all in the same storm. And we've all dealt with a lot of stuff that's hard. And in every one of your lives, there's still reason to be grateful. To have gratitude, to be thankful. In every one of your lives, and mine too, there's plenty of reason to give thanks. We even need to give thanks for the future things. Because we know who has the future, right? We know who's in control. We know God's got this. So we need to be living with gratitude. We need to be overflowing with thankfulness. Practice gratitude. Many of you grew up at a time, and I did, and it's still there, but not as prevalent as it used to be, where every child was raised to say please and thank you and those things, right? You don't hear it quite as much as you used to, but I would, I would hope and pray that parents and grandparents that are hearing me right now, you would instill that in your children to give thanks. One thing we still do at our house that I, it's, again, I don't want you to think this is prideful. It's not. This is a reminder to me. It helps me. When we have a meal, we always give thanks for the meal. It doesn't matter where we're at when we're eating it. We just always pause and give thanks. Now, we don't have to do that, and God doesn't send me to hell if I don't do it this time. That's not the way God is. But don't you think it blesses him to hear that from us? How many of you in here are parents who've done something for your kids, and they told you thank you? Didn't it make you feel great? Well, every good thing we have, you know who the source is? It's God. Don't you think he loves hearing thank you from his children? Don't you think he... He's not wanting to force it. He's not wanting to punish you if you don't do it. But isn't it nice to get it? Right? God wants that from his children. We need to be grateful, children of God. We have so much to be thankful for. And if you ever start doubting that you do, just go back and look at the cross one more time. Just go back and look at the love God has for you, the willingness he had to pay that price for you to be forgiven. Everybody's got something great to be thankful for. And that's the love of God and the provision that he's made for you through his son, Jesus. Leads to the last one. Number six, ah, humility. Getting the pride out of the way. Celebrate other people's wins and mourn their losses. I think the hardest part of that one is celebrating other people's wins, but both of them can be difficult if you're prideful. Okay. If you're too prideful, you don't ever celebrate anybody else's wins because they weren't whose? Yours. If they won, it means you didn't win. A lot of times, that's the way we think, right? If for them to win means we didn't win. But that's not the case. For them to win doesn't mean you didn't win. Not when you understand that we're all God's children and God wants all of us to be blessed. He wants all of us to have, have provision made for our lives. He, he grants different amounts to different people at different times, but he gives all good things to us to be used for his glory to start with. So we need to learn to celebrate other people's wins. Other people 
It says in Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Pretty simple, right? You got a promotion at work. I was hoping to get one, but I didn't. But you did. If I really love you and care about you, what should I be willing to do then with you? Celebrate with you. That's great. You got blessed that way. I'm so happy for you. See, pride won't let you be happy for other people when good things happen to them. It will never let you be happy for other people when good things happen to them. Somebody just won the lottery, right? And everybody's thinking, man, I wish it was me. I always tell Sue Ann, well, I didn't win again. She said, you didn't buy a ticket again. <laughs> She's right. Okay. Celebrate other people's victories, successes. Jesus' mindset was, even if it cost me my life, I'm going to celebrate the life they get out of it. The blessing that they get out of it. Transform the way you think. To think more like Jesus. But more in other people's losses too. I can think of the times I've had loss in my family and the people that came around me and I know it's awkward. I know people, you think, I don't know what to say. I don't know, you know, can I kid around? Can we joke about things? You know, yeah, I mean, it's awkward when you're at a funeral home or you're visiting with somebody. They've just lost somebody that they love and care about. Let me reassure you this. Don't even worry about what to say. It's, it's okay to think through and, and try to say good things. That's a good thing. But just be there for them, right? Just mourn with them. You know what that's meant to you sometimes. Well, that'll mean that to somebody else if you do it for them. Be that person that's there for them. Show up for them. I know you can't attend every funeral or whatever. I'm not saying you got to always do that, but you can always phone call or message or contact them some way and just let them know, I'm so sorry for your loss. I'm praying for you. I pray that God would comfort you the way he can comfort Those things are things that pride would keep you from doing. And the things that pride would keep you from doing are the things that would bless you and others the most. And that's why we got to get this pride thing under control. That's why we got to get it out of the way. Let's pray together. Father, thank you in your, for teaching us in your word and by the example of Jesus the need for humility in our lives. If we are going to represent Christ well, then we've got to have the mindset that he had, a mindset that removed pride, a mindset that humbled him to the place that he came and emptied himself of equality as God, to become a servant of us in the flesh, to be tempted in all points as we are yet to still battle against sin and win that battle. And then to willingly go to the cross. Father, we, we can't do that by our own strength. We don't have the power to be people with that mindset. We need you and the presence of Christ in our lives to do that. I pray that if there's anybody today hearing this message that really wants transformation, they would take the first step that is essential, and that is to get their pride out of the way in such a way that it would allow them to take that step to surrender themselves to Jesus. 
to follow after him as their rabbi so closely that every day they get covered in the dust of Jesus so that we can, over time, grow to be more like him. Father, I pray for those of us that that already know and follow Jesus that you would help us to be recommitted today to battling this pride monster so that we can conquer that with the help of, of your presence and your power and the teaching of your word and our obedience to that. We can overcome that struggle enough that you can use us for your glory, that we can become less and he can become more. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.